Smarties, today we welcome Barry Susskind, MFT. We chat all about what to expect from psychotherapy, how the process can and should work in conjunction with educational therapy, and when to taper off. We also have a really important conversation about learners as identified patients, what that means, how it plays out in the family system, and the impact it can have on the life of a learner. Also, Smarties, be sure to join us on Patreon to hear the after show of Barry's interview. If you haven't joined Patreon yet, the link is www.patreon.com slash learnsmarterpodcast. And subscribe for just $5 a month to hear that extra content. That conversation was really fun, and we can't wait for you to hear it. By joining Patreon, you'll be supporting this podcast and the work we do. And as a thank you, you'll have access to extra content, behind-the-scenes fun stuff, and more. Now, let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 107 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Rachel Cap, And I'm Stephanie Pitts. And today we're super excited to welcome Barry Suskin onto the podcast. Welcome, Barry. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. I'm excited that we're finally doing it. You and I have been friends for a couple years. Do you know how we met? I do know how we met. Yes. Okay. Tell me everything. We met at a networking event for clinicians who specialize in kids and teens. Ah, and did you love me instantaneously? Of course. You're very personable. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) You and I have been talking for a while about having you come on to the podcast. So tell us a little about yourself and your practice and the type of clients you work for. I don't think I've said what you do yet. So share a little bit about that. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I specialize in working with adolescents. I also work with adults and couples. I mainly work with teens as far as the adolescents are concerned, I will work with kids who are a little bit younger, like 11, 12 sometimes, if they're pretty mature. I don't do play therapy. I do talk therapy. So they definitely have to be able to come in and want to talk about what's going on in their lives. And where is your practice located? I am on 3rd Street near the Beverly Center in Los Angeles. What's your favorite type of client to work with? I like working with people who are pretty self-aware. And I find a lot of times people who are self-aware think that they probably don't need therapy because they already know their issues, but that couldn't actually be further from the truth. I always tell them self-awareness gives you a head start because you already know what you want to work on. You already know some of the areas that you struggle in and what you want to focus on. So we don't have to even necessarily spend as much time at the beginning figuring out where we want to put our energy. It's similar to educational therapy in that when we get a client who's self-aware, we look at it as they're motivated to be there. Mm -hmm. We're weeks ahead in the process because they're already open and receptive and ready as opposed to someone who's coming in the door kicking and screaming for us, which happens with clients who don't know what it is that we're going to do or what it's going to be like, or middle school and high school students or college students will think this is going to detract from the work that I actually am getting graded on, whereas that couldn't be further from the truth Mm -hmm. in that it actually benefits the work that you need to turn in and are getting graded and tested on. We absolutely relate to that piece 
of the puzzle. For sure. So I love partnering with you because if we're suggesting talk therapy for our clients, there are a lot of biases that come up around it. Sometimes parents and learners are much more comfortable doing the work on the learning side rather than the emotional side, because for whatever reason, it's less vulnerable for them. But if we're suggesting talk therapy for our clients, you and I have talked at length before in the past, Barry, about how we really want parents to be a part of that equation. So can you talk a little bit about why it's important to have parents be a part of the process when there's a adolescent or teen who's in talk therapy? Yes. As far as your point about parents, especially wanting to focus more on the academic piece, that's so true. We have so many metrics in place, you know, grades and test scores to measure how kids are doing academically. And we really don't have those widely available measures of how they're doing socially, emotionally, in these other areas that are just as important Mm. to their development and to their ultimate success as adults. So I think it is really important for people to consider psychotherapy along with any kind of educational therapy that they might be doing. As far as having the parents involved, it's important to balance working with the parents, working with the kids, because I do want the kids to feel like it's their safe space. I'm going to prioritize their goals. So I try to find a way to understand what both the parents' goals are and what the kids' goals are and really honor both of those. And it can take a while for kids to really build that trust because they don't necessarily know, are you working for me? Are you working for my parents? Right. And it's kind of a combination, Mm -hmm. but it is important to make sure that the kid doesn't feel like the identified patient. Right. And that can often be the case. Yeah. Can you explain that for those people who don't know what the identified patient means? So a lot of times when someone goes to therapy, especially a kid, the parents think, okay, my child has a problem. In some cases, they think my child is the problem in our family. And that's a problematic way of thinking because if they think the kid has probably internalized that idea, the kid's probably heard that idea from them, or it's certainly been implicit in the family's interactions. And so this kid who's really developing their sense of self is living their life thinking, I'm a problem. Like I'm ruining my family. Mm-hmm. Whether they've actually heard that message, which in some cases they have, or you know, have just kind of understood it the way their families interact with them. So I think it's really important to undo that. And that's an important piece of working with the parents too, to help them understand your kid is not the problem. Mm-hmm. There are some things in this situation, assuming that there is conflict within the family or stress within the family. You know, there are some issues here that we're going to address, but they're systematic. You know, everybody contributes to them. Nobody's at fault. You know, we're not trying to place blame, Yeah. but everybody plays a role in contributing to these issues. And the idea is to try to figure out how we can start making changes within that system so that it all starts to work better so that the family can actually interact in a healthier way. Which is super important. Yeah. It's really important. And this is something that I know both Steph and I and our teams take really seriously because sometimes the way the referral happens is they come to us and then we see the part that we can address and we're very clear on the part that we know we can't. Mm -hmm. And we take this recommendation for talk therapy extremely seriously for the learner in our practice because most of my clients I see or my team sees twice a week. And so now we're saying to them, we want to add on at least one more hour of week 
And the reason is because the way they think about it is like, is our thing so bad that I need that third hour? And I'm already working hard with Rachel or with staff or with their teams twice a week. Really? And so it's really important to us that when we make the referral for talk therapy, that we have somebody who like you is open to working with the whole family mm-hmm. because yes, that client is working twice a week with us or once a week with us, whatever it is, but we're also working with the parents on the back end that the client doesn't see necessarily that piece of it. And so it's really powerful when they see like, yes, my kid's going to therapy, but I'm doing it too because we want everything to be better. And we don't want to put all that pressure just on the child in the situation. Especially because it's not always about just grades or just school, right? That is an outcome of a structural familial problem or conflict or whatever it is or expectations that are unmet or whatever it is. Right. And so I think it's really important. And the thing that I love about when there is a therapist on the team is being able to collaborate and being able to approach the whole child and the whole family in a way that when the family is really able to accept what's going on and accept the help and make changes that they come back. And I know they've done this with you too, Rach. It's been a game changer Mm -hmm. and they can't even remember how are we functioning before and how much better it is now. So for families that have been sitting there thinking about starting psychotherapy, what should they expect? Yeah, it's a great question. I think a lot of people don't really know what to expect from therapy. And a lot of times what people expect is actually far from what it is. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times people expect it to be really short term, especially when people are referred, when they're not necessarily seeking psychotherapy on their own, but they are referred by educational therapists, for example, like you guys, Mm -hmm. they think, okay, fine. My ed therapist wants me to go to therapy. They want my kid to go to therapy. We'll go for a session or two. You know, they expect it to be diagnostic. I'm going to tell them what's wrong. I'm going to tell them how to fix it and move on with their lives. And that's not how therapy works. Therapy is a process. When I think of short-term therapy, I think of three to six months. So it definitely is a commitment because you're just building trust, especially with kids. That's actually a good thing, but you don't want your kids to just trust a stranger the first time they meet them. You actually want them to develop their critical thinking and be safe. Don't just open up to anybody, Mm -hmm. but kind of test them a little bit. Like that's healthy. That's an important part of the process. And that just takes time. They need to get to know the person they're talking to and see, okay, does this feel good? Does this person seem to have my best interests at heart? So you're not going to get a lot out of talk therapy if you are just trying to go for a couple of sessions. You're just going to barely scratch the surface at that point. People need to know that it is a longer term commitment and it really does pay off if you're willing to put in the time. It has so many benefits. People think it's going to be very problem focused. Mm. And that's, I think, another huge misconception Because at least with the way I work, I'm very strength-based rather than starting with what's not working because people can easily tell you what's not working. And of course, I'll have a sense of that when we just have our initial conversation and they fill out their intake forms. You know, I certainly ask questions about what's not working, but I think it's more important to start with what actually is working. Like, where have you shown resilience in your life? How have you gotten through difficult situations? What are you good at? What do you like to do? That 
creates a strong foundation for a therapeutic relationship and for the client to recognize some things that are actually going pretty well and that they're actually pretty good at doing already rather than just coming in feeling like, I don't know, I'm a mess. I'm not living up to you know my parents' expectations or I'm not doing well in school. That's much easier for kids to bring with them into therapy than the sense of, you know what? I am pretty good at certain things. Like I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm starting at a pretty good place. It's so interesting because most kids have no idea. They have no idea what they're really good at. And if it's hard, they shy away from it, even if they are good at it. And having them take a minute and just really learn about what they are good at and how they are successful is so important in the process for us as well. I have clients that walk into my office and their shoulders are all like tensed up and they're holding their breath and they're really anxious. And then you almost sometimes see them walk out of the office and their shoulders are relaxed and back and they almost take this deep breath of, okay. And knowing and understanding that on the education side for educational therapy, that that's important, but it's also important for them as humans to have confidence in being able to tackle all the things, especially as a teenager, because that's so hard. Navigating teenage years is miserable, right? If you had the choice, would you go back? No, nobody would, right? Right, right? So it's so important that if you are thinking about finding a psychotherapist, especially if your kid is feeling like they are anxious or they're not good enough or something's wrong with them or they say they're dumb or, you know, whatever it is, helping them do that. It's fantastic. You know, Barry, you were the one that kind of pointed this out to me. And after you said it initially, I was like, oh, that's so smart. And I never really thought of it in this way, but it can't and shouldn't be one or two sessions because if your child is opening up in a way with a stranger in one or two sessions, that's cause for concern. Right. And the fact that they didn't allow for trust to build, these are all such important components of living a healthy, functioning life, slowly building trust over time, watching people behave the same way consistently over an extended period of time. That's how you build trust with somebody and how unrealistic it is because we get that too. We'll get the call where, you know, I want them to come for five or six sessions and this is what I want them to learn. Well, good luck to you. It's just never going to work in the approach and the kind of work that we do, which is deep and meaningful and profound. If you want to do something superficial like that, there are totally people willing to work with you to do that type of work. But if you want sustained long-term change in behavior, approach, and strategy, you've got to put the investment in, just like we always talk about the personal training. Right. Like you would not go to a personal trainer for five or six sessions and expect to have this amazing six pack. It just wouldn't happen. Although how great would it be if it did, but it just wouldn't happen. And so building that trust over a period of time is really, really critical. And I know the relationships that I have with my clients from day one versus month six is very different. And from very different month six to month 18 is very different, which is kind of why I love the work that we all get to do. This one-on-one work is just the best. It is the best. And Barry, how long would you say for, you know, I know it's not typical, but how long is an appropriate 
amount of time for a teenager to start to feel comfortable and start to open up a little bit? You know, ideally within a couple of months, they are feeling pretty comfortable with you if it's a good fit. I mean, I do find that teens tend to feel comfortable with me pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I try to understand their world know about what they're into or I learn from them if I don't already know about it. And yeah. yeah, that's kind of cool to put them in that position of like, oh, tell me about, you know, TikTok or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spending a lot of time talking about TikTok right now. Yes. It's okay if I don't already really know about it. I mean, I try to be somewhat aware so that, you know, they don't think like, oh, she just can't relate. But at the same time, it's nice for them to be in a position where they can teach me something. And I'm actually interested in it. Whereas I think with a lot of adults, they find like, oh, these adults don't actually care what I'm interested in. So usually I think within a few weeks to a couple of months, they really do start to open up. And that's when the therapy can start to be really productive. Like you guys, I love the long-term work. I find it so gratifying to work with people over the course of years, especially if I've started when they're teen, Yeah, to really see how they're developing. But I think the work certainly can be effective within like this three to six month span. I mean, if that's just what works better for the family and then to know that they can always come back. It's nice to have that relationship in place so that when issues arise, as they inevitably do, you know, we all have crises that come up, especially as a teenager. It's nice to know that they have the resource that they can always come back to therapy. But I mean, even better, I find so many times kids come in and they say, oh, I'm so glad that I had a session scheduled with you because this is what's happened this week and I have a lot to talk about. Oh, we hear that too. You may not have a reason in mind why you're continuing therapy, but I've never had a client who's at a loss for how to spend the time that we have together. So true. That's true. Sometimes they'll even come in and say like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about today. Everything's fine. Those end up being the most productive sessions because there's not a pressing crisis. Yeah. So we're actually able to kind of go a little bit deeper. And it's just like you said, Stephanie, I mean, who would go back to the teenage years if you had the choice? It's such a hard time and it's a time of so much change and every area possible in their lives. But it's nice to have the support in place to have someone who is helping you to think consciously about how you want to change rather than just having the change happen to you. Totally true. I would second the sessions where the client is like, I don't have anything today. Those are the sessions don't cancel. I always tell parents, don't cancel those sessions because those are the sessions where there is so much creativity in what we can do. And it's so productive for our learners, even if it's just reflecting back a taking stock session of where are we now versus where we've been versus where we want to go. I love those sessions that are open-ended because it allows me to get more creative. I don't feel the pressure of an academic deadline or anything like that. We can focus on this is the area of need that I'm really seeing and we haven't been able to target it yet. So let's do it because now we have time and you're open and there's no time pressure mm-hmm. on it. Barry, in this COVID-19 era, which is we're recording this on Rachel's birthday. Woohoo! In uh, April of 2020, let us know about how teletherapy works. Sure. Well, happy birthday, Rachel, first of all. Thank you so much, Barry. You're welcome. So yeah, I've done more teletherapy now than I've ever done. I mean, I'm exclusively on teletherapy at this point, as we all are. Yeah. So it's been interesting. I mean, I've done some in the past and I've found that when I've offered it to people for various reasons, you know, because it just doesn't work for us to meet in the office. A lot of times people 
have been a little bit reluctant to try it, but I've found really without exception that I can think of once people do try it, they're pleasantly surprised, Mm -hmm. you know, it's fine. Like it's a pretty decent substitute for meeting in person. Yeah. Obviously you're not sharing the same space physically. You don't get to see as much of the person. Some people say, well, you can't really see body language. I mean, you can see the upper part of the person. You do lose certain elements, but what I've found is that I'm actually able to see people's expressions, their faces better because they're closer to the screen. Like they're closer to the camera than, than they are to me when we're meeting in the office. So we're able to see each other's expressions on our faces better. And I'm picking up on things that I probably wouldn't pick up on if they were sitting on my couch in my office. So that's something that I've noticed that's been actually a positive, you know, from needing to transition to teletherapy. And also, obviously, it's a lot more convenient in many ways, you know, that people can just do therapy in their pajama pants. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have to drive or have anybody drop them off or or worry about parking or traffic, which is a big issue in LA. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I found that it's been a pretty easy transition and people are happy to have the option to continue therapy, especially right now, because it is a stressful time for a lot of people. Yeah. They need support. I think you're right that maybe we had some misconceptions about how teletherapy would go or tele-educational therapy would go. And I think Steph and I would report the same thing that a lot of our clients, the clients who have chosen to stay on during this period of time, which is the majority of them, because their kids still need support, this is still an opportunity during this time to build up skills for when school does go back. And it does exacerbate whatever sort of thing the kid was working with prior this has really shown a light on to certain things for families. That's what I'm hearing. I think, Steph, you're hearing the same thing. Like, yeah. you know, we were told, it's one thing to be told, it's a very different thing to see what's going on with the learner in their home. Mm-hmm. And so it has opened up our minds. We had already worked nationally with different clients around the country, mm-hmm. but it has been really fun to get to see our clients' homes. That's been very interesting. Yeah. Let me see your bedroom, you know, type of stuff. And I have one client in particular off the top of my head who is doing much better with teletherapy than in person. Mm. And his focus, his ability to get through things that we're working on, I'm shocked. So he's probably going to be one that I might say, you know, let's keep doing teletherapy at least for a little while because it has been so successful. So I think there's going to be those kids out there too. Yeah, I do agree with you. I had clients on my caseload who I had offered teletherapy to prior because, you know, we're sitting there, we're looking at their schedules. We see it. Yeah. We see their calendars. And so like we always say, we don't want to be a burden in their week. And some kids are ideal for doing this type of work virtually, but they always like to come in. And so I think their limiting beliefs have also shifted too in that, okay, I'm still super effective with Rachel or with Steph or with Barry, and I didn't have to physically be in the office. It's just really making us question a lot of the limiting beliefs that we had both around the work that we do and the type of business that we have. Yeah. I mean, I'm licensed in California and New York. Mm -hmm. So I've had kids that I've worked with who've gone off to college and they're not in LA anymore. But they're, you know, they're maybe up in the Bay Area or they're in New York 
And so we can still work together because my license goes by state. So, you know, I am limited to those two states, but we can still work together. And it's nice that people are getting that experience. You know, to your point, Stephanie, like for some kids, actually teletherapy does work better. They're more comfortable in their home environments. You know, it's nice to be able to meet their pets, their dogs, their cats, you know, to see their rooms. Like they can just kind of show you things that they've made reference to, art projects that they've made. Like they can just pull them out and show them to you that things that they maybe wouldn't be able to bring into the office as easily. So there definitely are benefits to this. And I agree with you, Rachel, that that's a little bit of a silver lining to all of this is that we are expanding some of our limiting beliefs about how therapy has to work. I love it. Yeah, me too. So how does the client know when they should begin tapering off from therapy? And I'm actually an advocate for never stopping completely, always sort of having that relationship on the back burner if you need it. But what are the things that you see in session that lead you to have that conversation with the client? Yeah, I'm kind of of the same mindset that it's nice to just have that ongoing relationship. I'm very much a believer in ongoing therapy. I practice what I preach. I, you know, have been seeing my therapist for years weekly. And, you know, just what I said about my clients, it's not like I go because I'm constantly in crisis, fortunately. I go because of what you referred to earlier, Rachel, about, you know, the personal trainer metaphor. I think of it that way too. It's like, you know, you start going to the gym or seeing a personal trainer to get in shape, but you keep going to stay in shape. Personally, that is my preference, but I obviously understand that that model doesn't necessarily work for everyone, that there are going to be times when people are busy or people don't always have the resources to consistently go to therapy for years and years and years. It doesn't have to be a lifelong commitment unless you find that it really works well for you that way. So I think when people are starting to meet their goals, but it is important to keep in mind the goals that you come in with often do change. You know, Often you do start to meet those goals and then you find that there are other goals. So it's important to be having that conversation and to see, is there still enough benefit here to continue? Or are we like pretty happy with the place that we've arrived at? And this might be a point to talk about taking a break. And like you said, always keeping that relationship so that they have it so that they know that they can reach out, planning for the future when these types of issues arise or unforeseen issues arise, you know that you can always reach out. But yeah, I think just when people start meeting their goals, it's important to have that conversation and important to have the conversation with the parents as far as what they're noticing in the kids. Are things improving at home? Are they noticing changes in the kids' confidence and self-esteem? That's you know something that I really try to work on with most kids. Yeah, As you guys know, every course of therapy is totally unique. There's no manual for it. But yeah, that's what I look for when things have improved. Yeah. We often find that for the work that we do, because ed therapy isn't a lifelong sentence, that we have to kind of encourage them to go out and experience the world without knowing that you're going to see Rachel on Mondays at 3.30 and see how that feels for a while, because I'm not going anywhere. And the goal is independence and autonomy. But I love when I do get to have the long-term relationship. And honestly... Sometimes it's the parents who really keep in touch, but my favorite is really when the kids keep in touch because, you know, they'll just randomly text me or, Hey, I use this strategy or it's always nice to know someone's thinking about you, but it's also nice to have that sort of relationship where they want to share the impact that you've had. It's the best part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love what I we try do. to get to the point with the kids that, you know, they've internalized my voice, like that they know yes. what I would say or what I would suggest mm-hmm. so that they're able to help mm-hmm. themselves because I'm totally with you. I'm not trying to make them dependent. 
on actually coming in and doing sessions. I want the work to be something that they can refer to on their own. Even if they're coming every week, there are going to be situations that they have to respond to in the moment. And I want them to have those skills and I want them to have the confidence that they know how to handle the challenges that arise in their lives. I love our work too. I know I feel so fortunate to be able to touch people's lives in this way and and help people in really meaningful ways. For sure. It really triggered something in me when you said, you know, I want them to internalize my voice because our clients do that. And they come in and they tell us, and I already know what you're going to say. Or like while I was doing it, I heard your voice in my head saying I should, you know, you're going to make me put it in the right spot in the binder. So I just did it. So I didn't have to hear it from you. (laughs) That type of thing. It's powerful. You want those people who have impacted your life. We all hear voices from other people and what other people would say. And I go to Steph sometimes. I'm like, I already know what you're going to say, but I'm going to tell you the whole thing anyway. And then she tells me what I already knew. She was going to say. <laughs> so Barry, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Through my website, which is barrysuskindtherapy.com. It's spelled, my first and last name are both not spelled how you would expect them to be. So, <laughs> so tell people. Uh, so it's B-A-R-R-I-E-S-U-E-S-K-I-N-D therapy. And then that'll, there'll be a link in the show notes in case you didn't get that. Yes. And then I'm also on Instagram as psycho underscore therapist underscore confessions. I like to make it challenging to find me. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's because I'm writing a book, which um, I think we'll talk more about on the Patreon. Right. So we're going to talk more about the book that Barry is writing on Patreon. We have subscribers and we're so honored that you guys are sharing your support with us in this way. So for $5 a month, you can go to www.patreon.com slash learn smarter podcast. And you'll hear the rest of our conversation with Barry about her awesome book. I can't wait for Steph to hear about what she's writing about because Steph's going to really enjoy it too, Mm -hmm. that conversation Mm -hmm. too. But Barry, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I know this was really helpful for people who may have been considering this and we're all huge advocates of doing this type of work. So thank you. Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week. Thanks. Bye guys. (laughs)